and gold That's my name And I'm there on the end of each and every day Blue skies and rain Clear and cloudy days I am there Come and find me Hey, how's it going? Welcome to Tell You What, the podcast. We talk here about the craft of songwriting and other musical things with young songwriters and musicians. Our guests for this episode are Adam and David Moss, twin brothers who create music as the Brother Brothers. Adam and David put out a wonderful album in 2018 called Some People I Know, and they're headed towards the studio soon to record its follow-up. We had a great, wide-ranging discussion Topics included their early years as committed classical musicians in training, how they found their way to different parts of the country and through different types of music, eventually back together again to form the Brother Brothers, and their time with Anais Mitchell Project, Town, and of course we talked about the songs they have created. There are a couple items I wanted to discuss briefly, hopefully, that came up during this episode. Uh, first involves... Issues around music uh, categories and categorization. I bring up the term uh, in the episode folk music, and that starts a conversation with Adam on this general topic. I have to say, this whole idea of putting music in categories for various reasons is something that it kind of bothers me and something I think about a lot. Like When I meet someone or I'm getting to know someone and they find out that I spend a lot of time in the music area and they ask, oh, oh what kind of music do you like? Not only do I not know how to answer the question, but it really kind of bugs me that I have to answer it at all. Why is that? I, I thought about this. And aside from the difficulty of putting an answer into a couple sentences that would make sense to a random person, I think maybe a bigger part of the reason is that by trying to define what I like, there is kind of a converse implication there that there are kinds of music I don't like. And I'm not comfortable with that. I think this maybe also gets to the heart of why people have a need to categorize things, in this case music. There is so much music available to us now, so much more than than in previous generations. And to be able to categorize it and say, this over here is what I like, that over there I don't like, that simplifies things for people. It gives them maybe a feeling of some kind of control. The effect of this kind of approach, unfortunately, is that it limits us, limits the joy of discovery that music offers if we are open to new things. There's such joy in finding new artists and new music that excites us, particularly when it is a sound that we maybe weren't formerly familiar with. And categorizing things, I think, shuts us off to a lot of those potential joyful discoveries. So maybe in the spirit of Aeneas Mitchell and Hades Town, let's bring down the walls and just listen to all of the music and be surprised. The other thing I want to touch on briefly is a song by the Brother Brothers. It is called Frankie. I have to say that as a nerdy student of songwriting, this song is among my favorite discoveries of the last couple of years by an emerging artist. I simply find it a wonderful example of, of painting a picture with lyrics, combining that with the right tempo, melodies, harmonies. There are concrete images presented, but they're just vague enough to allow the listener to paint our own mental pictures. We talk uh, at some length in this episode about the song and the song's origins that led to a discussion about topics that are clearly important uh, to David and Adam. 
So it is clear that the song itself comes from a place of personal truth, which often is the key, in my opinion, to a great song. So go find the song, Frankie. Give it a few listens. I'll put a link on the website, but it's easy to find at Spotify, etc. See if you agree with me. All right, enough of the chatter. Let's get to it. Here is our discussion with Adam and David of the Brother Brothers. In the hillside, she's my friend. On her shoulders where I go to lay my head. High above the sea in her bosom soft and green, she is there to lay beside me. Okay, Adam, David, welcome to Tell You What, the podcast. Thank you. Thanks. Appreciate you taking the time. Let's set the scene for a second if we can. We are here in the Tell You What studios, high above the teeming metropolis of Evanston. (laughs) But last night, you all played a a little show for us here. It was Mm -hmm. awesome. And then last night, we talked about the possibility of doing a whiskey-induced recording podcast recording session yeah right but we played frisbee instead we played frisbee instead and then we went to sleep <laughs> yeah. so that didn't happen would have Probably been a first would have been a first for the podcast but i guess we'll have to save it for another time so now it is the next morning and we're doing a caffeine induced yes session. that's right all right so thank you for being flexible and again for taking the time let's talk about your backgrounds a bit you grew up in peoria illinois that's right downstate from us here in evanston um, and I understand you, you started singing together early on, learned to harmonize by listening to your parents' record collection. Do I have that right? Yeah. Yeah, basically. And we took, we, we had a little choir in, even in second grade. Okay. We were, David was an alto and I was a soprano. Yeah. And so we learned harmonies that way too. So it was like a church choir or something no, like that? No, it was a little Is school it, choir. We, we, went had, to we went to a fine arts magnet school in Peoria. In elementary school? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We learned to dance and... At choir, and that's where we started our instruments. Yeah. Uh, oh, I didn't realize that the magnet schools for the arts existed for that. It young. only existed for about four years, and then the public school system of Peoria ruined it. Oh, but but what a great opportunity for you all. We got lucky. Yeah. Um, now, were your parents musicians in any way, or musical? Um, yeah, our mother was actually in the original cast of Godspell in Chicago. Okay. So she comes from. A very musical background. Right. So was she more of an actress or a singer as she, she got into that? She was she was an actress and a singer. Yeah. Both. She was a musical actress. She uh she's actually also uh Tina Tova on the Magic Door. For all for your all Chicago the, baby boomers. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> she was she was that's who she was. That would have been in the sixties. Like seventies, I think. 60s, 70s, Maybe okay. late sixties. Interesting. I don't know. Definitely the 70s. Though. Have you seen uh, uh, episodes of that? No. Just barely, they're, they're just starting to come up, pop up on YouTube a little bit. There's yeah. little things, but they're very blurry and Most poor tell. quality. Must be fun yeah. to see that. Yeah, it's interesting. And she also uh, she also got swept up by the by the folk scene. She was a big um, Peter Paul and Mary fan, and she played you know she played the guitar, plays the guitar. So. Okay, so it was always around. So I would assume that they've always been encouraging of your pursuit of music as Very a career. Very much so. Yeah. yeah. 
That's great. So eventually you both found your way to University of Illinois where you both studied music. That was your mm -hmm. uh, concentration. Mm -hmm. But upon graduation, you kind of went separate ways, pursued your musical life separately. Yeah, we, right around junior year, I think each of us did really poorly in an audition. Okay. And it dawned on us that that was going to be our lives of classical music, which had always just kind of been our path. So up until that point, you were focused on classical music. Yeah, we music. couldn't improvise a lick. and hadn't, yeah. hadn't even written a song, really. Okay. And just with the encouragement of some friends, and um, we just kind of were like, I don't know if I want to be in this competitive musical field. And we started branching out and learning jazz, and we started a gypsy jazz band that would play every week or so at different venues around Champaign-Urbana. Mm -hmm. And then there was a bluegrass band that... Um, like the college town bluegrass band. Yeah. It was like a hippie jam grass band right. called Green Mountain Grass. And so when they heard me improvising on the violin, they were like, you want to join our bluegrass band? Because I needed somebody. Mm -hmm. And so I joined reluctantly. Okay, so you joined a bluegrass band having not really played bluegrass Not before. at all. Okay. <laughs> but if you've ever heard hippie jam grass, you know that that's not a prerequisite for joining a hippie jam grass band. <laughs> yeah. And so that was his endeavor, and then that kind of led him to Austin, Texas. Right. And I moved to um, Chicago trying to start a, a... I wanted to start a trip-hop band, like like uh, Portishead. Okay. And... Uh, which didn't really come to fruition until I moved to Austin and I started a band. So what did it feel like for you all to have spent all that time studying classical music and the discipline that was? And I don't say suddenly, but, but at some point that all kind of turned and the doors kind of opened to this other kind of music for you. Um, I feel like there's, there's such a, a sense of community with improvisation and bluegrass or jazz and that sort of thing. There's this weird competitiveness, but it's not competitive because it's a community aspect. Right. And so I still find myself surprised by how just open and welcoming a lot of the, um, a lot of the musicians that we know are, and how because uh, it was just we came from such a competitive background. So in, and, in the classical world, competitive means there may be one spot for someone exactly. to get a job, but in, yeah, uh, and you're constantly analyzing yourself, saying well, I'm better than this person or this person's better than me. Right. I don't have what it takes. I need to practice more. And you're, so you're constantly cutting yourself down and that pressure is really destructive. Mm -hmm. While in the in the improvisatory communities, more so, um, there's a lot of like, you kind of know where you stand, but everybody's trying to find their own voice mm -hmm. and everybody is also appreciating their own, everybody else's own voice. But at the same time, you know, you, could, you can recognize the technical prowess of a certain player, but you can more easily celebrate it rather than feel inadequate. Yeah. So with a healthy existence. competition, you may be inspired by that person. Well, That's, I mean, and if you're hanging out or just playing on stage with somebody, they send the song around and you, you, get, a, you get your turn to improvise. And whether you screw it up or not or play the most amazing solo, you just get one pass at yes. it. And it's just, it's a collective, it's a community, and right. everybody gets to take their turn, and it doesn't matter how good you are, you right. know, it's cool. Um, yeah. So, we'll get back to some of your individual work, I think, a little later, but let me just have you talk about what it meant, and how it happened that eventually you made your way back to each other and decided to work together on this project. Well, when we were both in Austin, we started going, the reason I moved to Austin 
was because of uh, the band leader's attachment to this festival called the Kerrville Folk Festival. Right. I did want to talk about that. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're about to you're about we go. to hear all about it. Yes. yes. Um, so um, at the time, and still somewhat today, but this was 12 years ago, 15 years ago 15. now. Yeah. Um, it was a very magnetic place for our musical community that we built. Kerrville, yes. Yeah, it's outside of Austin, yep. Texas. And so um, the band leader that, of this hippie jamgrass band had been going since he was 13 years old. And it just kind of drew everybody there. You know, sometimes just the universe comes together and you just call a friend and say, hey, you want to go on an adventure? Mm-hmm. And the answer is yes, easy, no convincing. And just tons of our friends came down. And then we met all kinds of amazing people there that have, had been going or it was their first year or but, but songwriters from all over the world would still come to go hang out at the Kerrville Folk Festival and it's an incredibly inspiring place right so I moved to Austin after being inspired by all of the people at the Kerrville Folk Festival okay. David moves to Austin a year later and all of a sudden we're surrounded by because of the Kerrville Folk Festival and the energy that the energy that it inspired we're all of a sudden surrounded by songwriters. And we're surrounded by creative people who listen to songs and need a little bit of accompaniment. So we're in this like musical community, which gets us both into songwriting. Mm-hmm. And So this was the first time that songwriting became part of what you were pursuing. Yeah. 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 Well, I had just actually... It's kind of a good story. I moved from Chicago and I moved down because Adam was having such a good time. Right. And my first night there, he's like, come on, we're going to this place called the Hippie Mansion. And there was like 15 people living in this semi-big house, all sectioned off with tapestries and stuff. And teepees in the back. and Teepees in the back. People living in tents. The whole deal. The whole whole deal. deal. And so um, he's like, let's go to this party over there with all of our, all the people. I'd met them all before, but Mm -hmm. we go and I walk in and I'm used to Chicago where, you know, I've been going to like, I don't know, house shows and stuff like that. Like house music, going to dance, and whenever I go to a party, it's loud music and that sort of thing. And I, we go in, and there's no music playing. And I was like, "What kind of party is this?" You know. Right. We walk into the living room, and there's about ten people sitting in a circle, just passing around one guitar. Yeah. And that was the music, and that was how everybody was hanging out. They all had a song to sing, whether they were performing or not. They all had a song to sing. All knew how to play guitar. Right. And I was just like, "Whoa, welcome to Texas!" You know, that's so. It, it was pretty cool. Yeah, that's like the prototypical Austin story. Yeah, right? totally. Um, well, I have to tell you, as a parent, I, I have to say it must have been particularly gratifying for your parents to see the two of you kind of find each other kind of organically again after instead of saying, "Oh, we're just these brothers and we're going to make music for the rest of our lives," you went out, did your own thing, but mm-hmm. eventually found your way. To each other. I'm sure they're very happy. Yeah. So let's go back to Kerrville for Kerrville. a second. Kerrville. Thank you. Mm-hmm. David, you ended up winning the prestigious songwriting yeah. contest there. Right? Semi-prestigious. I, I consider it prestigious. Oh, okay. Listeners <laughs> of this podcast know we have a soft spot here for the legendary Texas songwriters, you know, Guy Clark, Towns, yeah. Hanset, all those yeah. people. So to me, it's prestigious. So can you talk about how your time in Austin influenced you as a songwriter in terms of that tradition of those legendary sure. people and the people you interacted with. Um, hmm, let me, how do I begin? Start with your being inspired by going to Kerrville Folk Festival yeah. and starting to write songs. <laughs> um, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so we went and I, I was just playing the cello. I, I didn't even know how to play guitar. Okay. And I started 
a band with like my two new best friends who are John McGee and Grace Rowland. She got married and I think she just changed her name back to original. I'm not exactly sure. But she's in a band called Grace Park and the Deer. Okay. And uh, They're just called the Deer now. Oh yeah, sorry, you're right. They're just called the Deer. John was is a great guitar player, like a really great guitar player that's kind of got this finger style all his own. And um, he just playing with him and starting a band with him. I, you know, I had a, we had a guitar in the living room when we lived, and I just kind of took what I had already learned, which wasn't much, and I would just be like, "How do you do that thing?" And he'd show me, you know, or this or that, and he just showed me all these little tricks, and that's really how I started developing as a guitar player. Grace is also just an incredible songwriter. Very inspiring and... Beautiful voice. Beautiful voice. And uh, so it just kind of like those two influences really impacted me a lot. And then just also the community that we were in. You know, you go to Kerrville and you just hang out with just great songwriter after great songwriter. And it was kind of like, oh, it's it's almost time. I got to have some new songs so I can share them when we go to Kerrville, you know? Right. And oh, so that was like a yearly like deadline of some sort. Kind of, yeah. yeah. And uh, it still is. It still is. You and still go back. Oh, every year. Every okay. year, yeah. Okay. And it's uh, our place. It's yeah. our place. Yeah. And we would encourage any listener to go. Yeah. <laughs> it's super it's really, fun. It's really fun. I'm, I'm gonna go. Yeah, you should. Yeah, you should. Okay. It's really yeah. fun. But yeah, you just feel like you're part of a community and you feel inspired to write new stuff and then I had written a couple songs and I was dating a girl and she was like, You should really sign up for this competition which I never thought to do I didn't even have an album I signed up and I got in right and then I was like oh shit I gotta record an album so I recorded an album and I like put together all the songs and that was it that was you know I got I won and I got to do a tour because of it yeah because there's there's not just one winner there's there's six seven each year and then you go on a tour together then you go on a tour yeah. yeah and you get to go on a tour and that was just kind of I was like I guess I'm a singer songwriter now and the judges you know? of this are Songwriters, right? This is not like Normally, a, former winners of right. of the yeah. contest. So yeah, it's, that sets it apart from some other competitions. Like yeah, this too. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of how it all began, and it's just you have you have a community. So it's not just the Kerrville Folk Festival. It was all these all these other people that are your community, right? And, you know. Okay, let's follow that thread a little bit. Can you um, both talk about, or whoever would like to, how your interactions with other musicians? Over time, like now, you've been on the road with some pretty big name acts and toured sure. with them and been in all these cities. And can you talk about how those interactions have maybe influenced you, either as performers or as songwriters, and, and, and the impact that those relationships has had? Um, I can talk about. I think you know we're in our mid thirties now, and I think that our style is kind of settled in, mm-hmm. you know, and we're we're always exploring and trying to do new things, but. I think that the most, the thing that we get most out of the relationships that we've made is just inspiration and, you know, the fact that they like us and they're like, oh, I really like this thing and I like where you're going with that and, you know, some of the, just, just the, the camaraderie and the, you know, friendship, but I don't, um, I wouldn't say that there's like, oh, I really, um, am inspired to practice more or, you know, go down this avenue because of somebody that we've opened for or been hanging around with. But it's mostly just the the camaraderie and just the, the confidence in knowing that somebody who's maybe more successful than we are is really digging what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, that's like a, you know, a nice like push. 
Okay, let me reframe the question. Okay. Well, actually, I have a completely different answer. Okay. <laughs> um, we do tour a lot, but I, I feel like most of the inspiration that I have gotten is from my peers. Well, when I was living in Austin, I was getting a lot of life lessons of, of just how to be in a community and how to be a good person. I have a lot of really good friends, but they didn't... Um, they didn't. They inspired me to fall in love with music and to be musical, but they didn't as much inspire me to practice and to get better and to hone my craft. And that's kind of one of the main things that motivated me first to move to Boston and then to move to New York after that. But mm-hmm. mainly, my eyes were always on New York. I always wanted to live in New York. Okay. Um, and I would say that the community in New York immediately was so inspiring because there's so many. There's so many masters of their craft, some of which are very well known and very famous, some of which are doing well now, but weren't doing well back in the day when I first moved, um, and some are just existing, you know. But there are so many incredible masters of their craft that are my age and younger in New York City that just being there makes you operate on a higher level hmm. because you can't. The, the energy is, is on a high level, but also you can't exist and like expect, like, hey, you can't call yourself a musician unless you are operating at a, at a level that the other musicians operate at. So you have to push yourself there, and it's incredibly inspiring to be living in New High York. tide raises all ships. Yes. Yeah. And another thing, the, the, the non-competitive nature of... The community that we're in is so inspiring in New York. and encouraging. Yes, in New York City. Yes. And I feel like, you know, with the internet and all that stuff, like, yeah, New York has a vibe. Nashville has a vibe. L.A. has a vibe. Chicago has a vibe. But like, and everybody's got a scene. But we're all connected. Yes. We're all so easily and quickly connected. We're all one degree from each other. And we're all encouraging each other to make the best music that we can and hoping that, you know, I or my friends make it. You know, right. but, but the success of one really helps the success of others. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the song Colorado. Okay, sure. that's my song. Okay. I think I read somewhere that this was somewhat inspired by friends you have made on the road. Mm. Am I right? Sure. And you also recently put out a live version of this with Sarah Tarose, who you have toured with. Do I have that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah. So, can you talk about that song a little bit and the, where it came sure. from? Sure. Um, we had just done. We were on tour with Anais Mitchell's Hades Town, which um, we're going to get to in a minute. Yeah. Well, it sounds <laughs> like we're going to it now. Okay. Okay. Oh, I have specific questions about that, but go yeah, ahead. Yeah. Sure. Um, but we. So the way that it worked was we were. He played viola and I played um, cello. So we got to go on every tour. But what she would do is she would do like California sings Hades Town or Colorado sings Hades Town, and she would have local artists okay. that you know were her faves, and she would have them play the parts of you know Orpheus and Eurydice and well she was using Eurydice but um, she would have all the all these different people play the parts and it was really cool to hear all these different iterations, and one of our favorites was in Colorado, and we get off the plane and we pick up everybody and we pick up these. Three wonderful women from a band called Paper Bird. And uh, we just like become immediate friends. Mm-hmm. And we sit in the back of the car, or the van, with a 12-pack of beer. And I think we finished the 12-pack by the time, like the hour drive that we got. We were like going to Denver. 
And we just became the best of friends and just had a, an amazing time. And then I wrote the song Colorado just like right after. Okay. And unintentionally just kind of turned into a love song because that's just where my mumblings went. Yeah, it was just like a... It was just, I was just thinking about Colorado and the time spent there and just like the connections and how I just had to, like, how you just have to leave and you may never see them again and that sort of thing, you know? But you always but, take the time that you had with you. Yeah, you always yes. take that time with you. Right. So, it sounds like a love song, but it wasn't, well, I do love them very much, you know? There you go. Oh, an evening sky, won't you tell me why I'm going away so On the early morning hours, I'll be miles and miles away from my home. Oh, I know I'm gonna break her heart, I'm gonna break her heart, I'm gonna break her heart. Alright, let's go back to Hades Town. Just for in case our readers aren't aware this this was a Listeners. Listeners. Did I say readers? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Maybe I should put out a transcript. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Anais Mitchell, a fabulous folk singer, songwriter, created this musical project some time ago yeah. that eventually made its way to New York as a musical and won every all of the awards. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like fascinating. Eight, six or eight Tonys? I think it was eight. Amazing yeah. story. So you two went on the road with this project as musicians, singers. What was your place in I'll, what, what I'll tell you. I'll tell you the path. It actually starts at Kerrville Folk Festival. Okay. Yeah, it does. It or not. I'm definitely going. Yeah, you gotta go. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, it was a, it was an especially amazing time those first years that we went. So, Aeneas was at Kerrville, at the Kerrville Folk Festival. She used to go every year mm-hmm. as well. Um, she played. She would play. She won the new folk competition in 2000, 2005, which was our first year. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So we were very aware of her because she was kind of like, you know, one of the celebrities of the scene already the second that we got into it. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, the scene's not that pretentious, so it's very easy to know your scene because everybody's just sitting around campfires singing songs. So you sit down at the circle. Right. And then you sing your song, you listen to their song, they're like, who are you, blah, blah, blah. And that's that. Everybody knows everybody. And so, you know, after many years, actually, so four years... And then I moved to Boston, and while I'm in Boston, I get a, I get a notific- I get a message from my good friend, and says, uh, "Have you seen Anais's Facebook page lately?" And she had put out a post that was like, "Does anybody know any any viola players in the in the New England area?" <laughs> and I had just moved to Boston, right. and so I wrote her immediately. and was like, "Uh, me," <laughs> and she was like, "Oh, cool. Well, here's what I'm doing. I'm doing this tour of the Hades Town thing." Will you learn the music and do it? And I was like, hell yeah, I will. <laughs> so um, that was the beginning of that. And there was already a cello player, but the cello, there was two cello players and they were a married couple. Mm-hmm. And then one of them, well, they got pregnant. Um, and so I suggested David come on, her just hire David because he'd love to do it. What a great experience for you. It was really cool. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about that for a second because about what that project was and what it, what it represents. So... You two are, to a certain extent, storytelling folk musicians, right? Mm-hmm. Your songs talk yeah. about characters and places, and they tell stories. So what do you think about what she did in terms of what it may open up for musicians like yourselves and taking your music to a different realm in terms of making a musical production out of it? Have you thought about that? 
Well, I think what she did was incredibly brilliant. Right. Yeah. And a, and a singular idea. And it would take another mind as amazing as hers to do the same thing. And I'm sure it would be different. But that was quite a task. Yes. And quite a feat. Um, I don't know that... I don't know that it brought an especially an especial amount of awareness to quote I'm using quotes here yes. folk music, but also um, if I may, I'd like to address the concept and the way that we use the term folk music. Please do because I think it's an unfortunately loaded term. It's to me folk music is such a broad categorization of music that it. But for some reason, it wears this connotation of of the old days, of right. old music, of Peter Paul and Mary, of Peter Paul and Mary, cheese balls music. Woody Guthrie's not cheese balls music, yeah. but it's old. It's a it's a tradition. It's not today. It's not alive, well, thriving. It always harkens back to the past. And I think that it's really important to to say that I feel like every. Every music is folk music. And like, you know, uh, for example, one of our favorite songwriters of all time, Adrienne Lanker from Big Thief. Right. To me, her base, her roots are, are she, she's writing folk music. She just puts, puts electric guitars behind it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails, that's folk music too. And Johnny Cash played one of his songs and it's the folkiest song I've ever heard in my life. Right. But like... So to be able to to say like oh this is folk music is such a loaded term. I feel like it's unfortunate that the term folk music puts shoves somebody in that little region. Do you think there's something that would define folk music as being a story or a message or some is there some way to define it using those kind of terms which would encompass a lot more? Well, you, I, I think you would have to qualify it as like a storytelling folk song. Or you know, in the in the genre of the storytelling song. Okay. Yeah. But I I feel like we can be more specific with our words because because. Do you think we should eliminate the term folk music? No, not at all. Okay. I think I think that um, people people feel the need to categorize yes. things, and I feel like it's actually a very as our future and as our world is becoming more identifiably complex. Um, our need to our need to categorize things is actually kind of detrimental to the growth mm-hmm. of our society. Um, our, I mean, this this applies to like you know politics, yes. sexual identity, and it also applies to music. You know, everybody is trying to identify themselves as something unique and someone special, and when you try to put a label on it, all of a sudden it takes that uniqueness. And that individuality, and puts it in this large group that doesn't identify or or specifically address anyone. Mm-hmm. So, categorization can be a way of controlling. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So part of what you're trying to say, I think. Yeah. Um, but we were talking about Hades Town. We were. I think I think we covered that. Unless you want to talk about it more, because it's a fascinating topic. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's amazing. Yes. And it did. It, the other thing is, it did a lot. It, it brought a lot of people together that tour. Yeah, and all of the people that worked on it, and all of the people so that sang on a it. Huge community. Huge community. That huge you were community. A part we of. still, like I, we still see people all the time yeah. that we met because of that. Yeah. And I know that they do too. You know. Okay, let's talk about another song. Sure. Let's talk about the banjo song. All right, that's Adam's song. Adam. Uh, 
I get the sense that this is uh, song is maybe uses music as a metaphor for the ending of a relationship. Am I in the ballpark here? Um, yes, sort of. But okay. um, the the literal ending is of a relationship that I watched. You know, sometimes you watch a relationship and you you mourn you mourn for you mourn for the relationship when it ends. You know, even though you're not in it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's basically what the song was about. Okay. So I can't take personal credit for it. I can't say that this happened to me. But yeah, I would say I would say it's more of a statement about about love. Okay. Yeah. Why don't you play the banjo anymore? Don't you like the way it feels when you hit the note you're looking for? Why don't you play the banjo anymore? Tell you boy why I don't play no more Out of tune, discarded instruments Don't play like ones they did before That's why I don't play it anymore leads me to another question you both of you seem to write a lot using either specific characters or addressing people in your songs mm-hmm. at least on the most recent album do you find this is a good device to connect to your listeners is that is that the what's going on here i find that it's easier to talk about a serious subject and a vulnerable subject if you're casting um casting the attention away from the word i okay Personally. Yeah, I've always just found that using the word I is always just kind of like a pigeonholing, uh, unless you're super emo. Yeah, unless you're super emo. <laughs> but it, it's just kind of a, it's it's, it, it's a really way of like narrowing the, the writing. So like for me, like, you know, my process of writing is I'll sit down with a guitar usually and just kind of mumble... And if I find myself stuck, like I have a good melody and I just can't get any words flowing, a lot of times I'll find that I'll be starting with a, an I. Right. And if, a lot of times if you start with a question, you know, it's, then you answer it and all of a sudden you have a phrase. And little things like little, just little tricks to just get a song going. So once you ask a question and then you answer it, you're automatically taking it outside of yourself. You know? Mm-hmm. Or you're... There's a song in particular where I, instead of starting with I, I start with she, you know, and I talk about like an ex-girlfriend of mine and, um, and it's all about me, right? Because it's my perspective, but I start talking about her and And the song is very much about myself. Colorado is very much about myself, right? You know, but in the process, you are allowing the listener maybe to connect more easily with the song because this could be about yeah someone else yeah as opposed to trying to think about who you are yeah a lot of times you can if you're trying to explain something to somebody using an anecdote is a lot better than just straight out explaining it so yes. so maybe that's yeah, so don't tell David's, right, David's basically the Elizabeth Warren of songwriting yeah that's right in what sense no? 
Elizabeth Warren's always campaigning with an- okay. anecdotes. Okay. Yeah. Four more years right. of songwriting. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So given all of your various travels and homes you've had, I want to talk about maybe about the uh, sense of place in your songs. We talked about the song Colorado. I want to talk about the song um, Frankie, mm-hmm. which is, I think, my favorite song on the most recent album. It oh, really, thanks. Really it's not a competition. It really hits me. <laughs> it hits me very strongly. Can you discuss how sense of place maybe enters your songwriting in terms of, of this song in particular? Yeah. Um, I, was, I was working in a bar that is basically my favorite bar of all time. It's called Sunny's and it's in Red Hook. And it's... In, yeah, in Brooklyn, Red Hook, Brooklyn. And when I first moved to New York, I had a friend take me there. And it's, you know, it's just this, it's this place. I know, it's just amazing. Mm-hmm. And it, um, the owner passed away about four years ago, I think. And right when he passed away is when I started working there. And during this time, I don't know how else to put it, but... When I first started going there, it was this place that you'd say, oh, we should go to Sonny's. And people would be like, what Sonny's? And you would look at them and you'd say, we should go to Sonny's, mm. you know? <laughs> and, or you'd say, oh, you've never heard of Sonny's? All right, let's go, you know? And then when I kind of started working there and the neighborhood was changing a lot, it was, uh, it was oh, we should go to Sonny's. And somebody would say, what Sonny's? And you'd be like, you haven't heard of Sonny's? <laughs> You know, there's a big difference between those two answers. Yes. And and so that's kind of a metaphor to what happened to Red Hook. And it was this place that I was lucky enough to just happen upon and become a part of that community. And it meant a lot to me. And it was always, I was living in Bushwick and having a tough time there. And and it it was just a community that I really enjoyed. And then a lot of people while I was working there were having to move because it just got too expensive. Right. They were having trouble finding places. They were, there was just, it was just an influx. And they were building, they were, buildings were being sold and businesses were closing and... Rents rising. Rents rising. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the things that made it so special, a lot of the people that made it so special were just like, I can't do this anymore. I got to get out. And they'd move upstate or they'd, you know, move to the Rockaways really far away. And so that's basically what the song's about. And it's through the lens of a bunch of people that I had you know, conversations with that were, there were longtime neighborhood members that now I haven't seen forever because they all moved out of the mm. neighborhood, you know? Okay, I want to talk about a particular verse in this song. Sure. That when I listened to it before I heard you guys perform live, really just stuck. It really hit me. Yeah. The verse about, well, the verse is, look at that lady. She's standing out there looking out at the water. She ain't lonesome or scared. I'm going to read the whole thing here. Yeah. It's like she's known something for hundreds of years. It's a candle she's burning. That verse really evoked imagery in my head. And I, I was like, wow, I really struck with it. I, I talked to my wife, Susan, look, listen to this verse. This really gets me. We talked about it. I see you perform last night and you say, oh, this song is also about the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. Which is not what I was thinking when I heard it, but yet it still evoked strong image in me, the listener. Mm-hmm. So... I think that is a hallmark of great songwriting. You wrote one thing, I interpreted it another way, but the wording and the way it was put together was so uh, evocative of something in my head that's different than what you intended. Yeah. So how, how do you, what do you think about that? That that I interpret that differently, but it was still a strong impression. Do you think that is a good thing? 
Oh yeah, of course. Also, um, uh, just a little side note: David and I don't do a lot of co-writing. Yes, but He's I have really to say proud. that uh, that line wasn't all me. But I did play a part in the <laughs> candle she's burning part. Thank you very yeah, much. He yeah. did. He, he tied it all back to the first verse. Is what he did. But you know what I'm trying to get at? That 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 a great song, I think, can mean a number of different things to everybody who listens to it. Yeah, totally. Right. That's yeah. the that's the goal. That's the hope. Yeah. Well, it, it worked, and <laughs> you both had a hand in it. Let's yeah, just make that clear. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let, let, let's shout it from the rooftops. I've been thinking about some people I know With their hands on their hearts and their eyes down their nose Just looking at the world like it's something they hold Trying to make it do something And I just look at that lady, she's standing out there Looking out at the water, she ain't lonesome or scared It's like she's known something Hundreds of years It's a candle she's burning Oh, come on now, Frankie Let's sing those cobblestone blues With the soles of our shoes Singing, I don't care about money I care about the things people lose And the people take on Yeah, I care about the things people know It's really, it's really evocative for me because um, this was right when Donald Trump got elected. Right. And I always, before, even before he was running, I just, there's certain people in this world that, uh, that really look at you for what you have and what you like, quote unquote, do, you know? Yes. Like, oh, you should become a doctor. You should become a lawyer. That's how you're going to raise a family. That's how you're going to do this. You should get into finance. You should get into real estate, you know? And... Because how, how else are you going to make it? How else are you going to survive? Um, they look at you and, you know, when you're a bartender, you meet all kinds of people. I think, I'm, I won't get into politics, but um, but you really meet a lot of people and just right from the start, you're like, you could never get on my level. You could never know what I know. You could never feel what I feel unless it's, you know, with me. You could never be a part of what I'm a part of. And that's how I feel about Donald Trump. That's how I always felt. And I wrote this about the Statue of Liberty just because it's like that is the beacon of what it is to be American and what it is to live in New York City. And just you can open your arms and you can just give that place a big hug and you can really get inside there with all these different people if you really try. Mm -hmm. And you really, you know, find yourself loving everybody. I don't know how else to put it. But if you can really get to that place where you love everybody and... That's what that verse is really about because it, I wrote that song before all this immigration stuff happened. Right. And I find it just like, oh, God damn it. You predicted I, the future. Yeah, kind of, kind of. But it's it's just this way of that, that song's really about being open and, you know, loving people for who they are. And just seeing the, seeing the, the shared, basic, inevitable, undeniable humanity of every human. Equally, right? It's uh, it's astounding to me that 
humans have the ability to not recognize the basic humanity of everyone. Yeah. That, that, that they think that some mother doesn't love their child as much as they themselves love their child is astounding to me. This is where our good art comes in, right? To yes. make yes. us open us up to, Let's to hope those so. things when we forget about them. Yeah. Right? You plans for a new another album? Can we talk about that? Where where that might be going? Or yeah, we wrote some songs. I'm gonna put them on an album. That's one answer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we we have no idea what it's gonna be like until we record it and start yeah. putting it out there. So so you have not these are you, you would not play these songs out until they are They're on not the ready. record. Yeah. yeah, we're we're in the process of learning them, and by the end of this tour, we'll probably have some ready to be performed. But also, it would be kind of nice to sit in the studio with them first, yes, and get to know them better, in like in that kind of a setting, mm-hmm. and have them fully flushed. So, because you know, even though it's just the two of us playing, a lot of the songs we can hear the arrangements that we came up with in the studio, and we can kind of lean on those. Let's talk about arrangements for a second. Going back to the most recent album, I find the arrangements were wonderful and Thanks. I hate to use the word spare because I don't I don't think that really does justice to, mm-hmm. to what they are they seem like thoughtful and deliberate now and a lot of times there's only one instrument kind of being focused on and I think yeah. it's great because it allows you to focus on the amazing harmonies and the lyrics but still the whole package is great yeah so is that a process of for you all, elimination like stripping things down or is it more of starting from a simple place and and kind of seeing what, what works. Um, well, we recorded with... The uh, the producer was Robin McMillan, who lives in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and he's just an awesome, awesome musician. And when we sat down, the idea that we both had, it was very a very clear image, was kind of like one of those old 70s shows where they have the long microphone and they're singing, and there's the band, but they're not even lit. You can see them, but they're just in the shadows. Right. And it was like, if we can make it sound kind of like that, that's how we're going to be featured, you know? And I think that is kind of the vibe, you yeah. know? And there's, if you notice, if you really listen to it, there's a lot of, oh, there's the guitar, there's the voices, there's the fiddle. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of like, oh, we need a little bit of something. And so there's these nice keyboard tones, and that's all Robin. Robin just kind of put these little pads in. Right. Occasional know. drum in the background. Occasional yeah. drum, right. yeah, when, when it needed it. Occasional yeah. bass when it needed it. Sometimes right. we had a yeah. bass synthesizer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought he was really good about mixing that stuff in and mixing it in general. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, well, that worked. If that was your intention, that's certainly yeah. what I got from it. But the next album might be different. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, we have a much different producer. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah, we'll see. We we definitely, like, we, we want to tour with drums and bass just... Because we're tired of playing, we want to play it late at night at festivals, <laughs> basically. But and just kind of like, oh, you want to tour with a with a full band next time? I think it would be yeah, it would be really fun because you can just do so much more, and you right. can really. It's the next logical conclusion. Yeah, to, to our growth, as and it's exciting, and it's yeah, yeah, and it's it's full. You know, it's a full band, so right. it would just really be a nice thing to be able to do. Well, I look forward to hearing that and seeing yeah. with a full band. Mm-hmm. And I look forward to seeing you at Kerrville. Yeah, yeah. Next see you there. Year. I'll see you around the campfire. Yeah, All right, cool. It's going to be fun. Thanks mm-hmm. uh, to both of you, Adam and David, for taking the time. It's a great conversation. Of course. And enjoy yeah. the rest of your time on the road. All right. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Yeah.
Well, I got no home, got no bed, I got no place to lay my head, I got no job, got no skills, got to play in the subway just to pay my bill. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tell You What, the podcast. If you enjoyed it at all, and you're still listening, so that might mean something, please consider telling a friend about us or putting something up on your social media or giving us a review or a rating on iTunes or Spotify or the etc. By doing so, you'll be helping these young artists get their music, their great music, in front of some new fans, and you'll be tipping your friends and neighbors off to some great music. That's the old win-win. So stay tuned. we got some more great stuff coming up in the future here at Tell You What. And until next time, remember, music is the best. Dreams, man.